And whereas I had built actually a pretty cool business, I should have started my own growth and brought on other team members, but I was arrogant and I thought no one can do it as good as I can. And I don't want to spend the same amount of time training up someone else when I'm just going to have to do the work anyway, or oversee it or fix it. Welcome to the Building to Scale podcast, where we bring real entrepreneur stories that showcase the challenges and successes in building and scaling an entrepreneurial business. Our host, Jeff Chastain, is a business transformation coach with Admentis, where he coaches business leaders and their teams with a proven set of principles and tools helping them gain clarity in and get more of what they want from their business. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show, and we will reveal how you can become our next guest. Welcome, everybody. Jeff Chastain here again with another episode of Building to Scale, where I really get the opportunity to speak with entrepreneurial business leaders and thought leaders, influencers, really hearing their stories of both challenges and successes as they've grown their and scaled their business to where it is today. So, Today's guest with me here is Mary Grothy of House of Revenue, and this is going to be a little interesting, a little different, because Mary's uh, business, and I'll let her dive more into this in a second, is actually helping other businesses uh, grow and scale as well. So we've got both her story from her own business experience, as well as uh, stories from some of her clients and everything going on. So first off, Mary, welcome to the show, and thank you for coming on. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So tell us a little bit more about House of Revenue and what you've got going on these days. Interesting story. I'm a former top rep, a B2B mid-market sales rep, and I have such a heart for the sales profession and salespeople. I started this company three years ago under the name SalesBQ with a purpose of helping sales departments reach the next level. I'll tell you more of the story in a bit, but that has evolved and we just found ourselves in a position to say, now we do so much more than sales. We've got to change this name. What we found is that we were focusing on a silo, a strategy of rebuilding sales departments, and you can only train up a sales team to perform at a certain level. If you don't also put focus on marketing and branding and name recognition and lead flow and aligning and intercepting with the buyer when they're in their initial awareness stage, then you're missing out on a significant portion of people that could be buying from you. And we made the decision to level up, double in size, and to organically grow and be able to offer full service revenue scaling strategies and execution for marketing, sales, customer success, and RevOps. And that's what we do today. Very interestingly, as we closed out our numbers for 2020 and looked back at our ROI, we found that we were 2Xing our clients' MRR on average by month 10. And these are companies anywhere uh, between 2 million to 20 million. And so to reach that type of scale within a short amount of time, we've realized that you can't can't do that by just focusing on the sales department or just focusing on marketing. You have to have a holistic revenue strategy. And that's what our team does. We assign a VP of marketing, a VP of revenue who oversees sales and customer success, as well as our RevOps analysts and our deep marketing bench. And they attach themselves to a company for about a year. And they rebuild and revitalize every facet of the revenue ecosystem until it is producing and closing business, enhancing the client experience, making brand ambassadors out of those clients. It's a seamless operation. And 
the phrase that the term house of revenue is is speaking to say two things one it should be built on an unshakable foundation that when we have something like a pandemic or the economy shifts or something happens uh, specifically in an industry that your revenue engine, your ecosystem should be built on an unshakable foundation to be able to weather the storm, but that additionally sales, marketing, and customer success should live in the same house and should operate together and not be neighbors or live down the street or the community <laughs> on the other side of town. You have to cohabitate. You have to work together in the same house against the same strategy. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I typically look at it even bigger picture than that to say, okay, it doesn't matter how great your sales and marketing engine is. If your operations is not up to tune, if your, your back end finance, et cetera, is not up to tune, you may be pulling in all the leads, all the money up front is going straight out the back because you can't deliver on the customer service like you're talking about. So yeah, it's, it's very key because a lot of times people focus, like you said, we need more revenue. Let's pump up sales or let's just pump up marketing. It's like, you got to look at the entire system as a whole. So that makes a lot of sense. So take us back a little bit, kind of tell us a little bit more of your story, how you got to, to where you are today. I had no college degree or professional experience when I was 22. I found an ad in a newspaper to become a sales assistant, so an admin, and I, I happened to get the job. I was supporting the top sales team in the country, and I had two years studying the sales profession. I was working for a Fortune 1000 payroll and HR company, and I... I loved it. I loved everything about it. I wanted to earn a spot on that team. I did Dale Carnegie training and Brian Tracy that my manager paid for me to do. And I got in the field and started studying the reps. Well, they finally said after two years, hey, you earned a spot on this team. And I became the top rep in 30 days. I had set a goal to do more than the top rep before me, even though I had never sold anything, <laughs> but <laughs> I, don't know, I like big goals. <laughs> and I sold in my first year. Uh, so for reference, she, the former rep had sold 300,000 and that was the goal to break. I sold 758,000 in my first year on a $150,000 quota. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I got to realize how much more there was in this world. Obviously my earning, my earnings increased like, yeah. I don't know, fivefold. Um, and I realized that how much more there was in this world. I grew up in the performing arts. I grew up as a creative and I never knew anything about the professional world. My parents were small business owners, but they ran a performing arts school. And so even though it was a business, it was so heavy in the arts. And I just never had a foundation or understanding of what corporations were like. And so that time um, at that payroll company was just unbelievable. But I left in 2011. I had uh, multiple number one finishes and had an opportunity to train reps and managers across the country. I got to help rewrite the playbook processes and help elevate sales performance. It was such a remarkable experience. So young. I left when I was 27. I took an equity position in one of my clients' companies, a small company, a startup. And I went on as their VP of sales and marketing. And it was my first time to build something from scratch because I was backed prior 
by a Fortune 1000 company. So there was some infrastructure there. I would argue the marketing didn't really do me any favors because I was in the mid-market and up-market and the company was predominantly known as a small business provider. So oftentimes the marketing worked against me. <laughs> Our competition would use it to sell against us when we were trying to sell bigger deals. But it was remarkable that having to jump in and I had never done that type of work before, but just believe in myself and pull from resources I could get my hands on. We quadrupled that company's revenue in seven months. And at that point, I said, I want to do this for a living. I was still so young, but I set out and started my first company called Butterfly Creative. And when I started Butterfly Creative in 2011, my heart really was for startups and entrepreneurs. I wanted to help them get past that first point where they hit break even and started turning a profit. And I really enjoyed the work I did for three years. I helped 36 startups and entrepreneurs get from, prof, uh, from concept to profit. I tried to do it within a 60 to 90 day time frame, And like you said, I became experienced in not just sales and marketing, but operations and finance and product and service and technology and innovation and the whole roadmap of how a business is put together and how it grows. From there, I, I would, I'll be very honest, I had a lot of rookie mistakes. I was a young entrepreneur. I didn't know how to price for my services. I, I was un, very underpriced. I was struggling to say no. I took on every project. I probably shouldn't have taken on most of them. And I didn't know how to delegate. I had too much ego. And whereas I had built actually a pretty cool business, I should have started my own growth and brought on other team members, but I was arrogant. And I thought no one can do it as good as I can. And I don't wanna spend the same amount of time training up someone else when I'm just going to have to do the work anyway, or oversee it or fix it. And that was, um, that's just maturity right there. And I didn't have it. So unfortunately I worked myself into the ground and I also had shiny object syndrome. I got into youth entrepreneurship education, started a kid's TV and radio show. And boy, I went so outside of what I know and what I'm good at. I ended up exhausting my bank account and decided to go back to the payroll company. I met my now husband and we wanted to build an amazing life together. So I went somewhere where I knew I could run three more years, very productive, sold millions, made a lot of money. My husband and I, uh, we got married, we bought a house, had a baby. And in 2017, I just had this unrest inside of me. I couldn't work for someone anymore. I knew I was an entrepreneur. I had gained a significant amount of wisdom in that time. And I also had, I sold one of the top 10 largest deals in history. I don't know if somebody's beat me since then, but broken that record, <laughs> bumped me out of the top 10, but I took a six figure commission check and started a company. So it took a little bit of risk out of the situation because we had a little bit of financial cushion. And when I started sales BQ, I made commitments to myself that I was not going to repeat past mistakes. Additionally, when I was an entrepreneur, the first time it was me, I could yep. survive on ramen noodles. I mean, it, in, a, in a one bedroom apartment, now I had a beautiful home with a beautiful family and I was the breadwinner. I had to replace that income. Well, it was off to a fast start, a very good start sales BQ. 
And I was able to pay myself, uh, get on payroll and pay myself within three months. And we've been profitable. We've never taken on debt. We uh, did 500,000 in our first year. I did learn how to delegate. I did learn how to bring on some team members after some trial and error. It was a little ugly the first year figuring that out. But uh, we had about four or five team members at the end of the year, uh, our first year in 2018, and sold or did about a half million. In the second year, we scaled rapidly. We closed at 1.55 million. It was a very expensive 1.5 million. We were only turning about a 16% profit. And it was a hellacious year because we grew so fast and we didn't implement our same growth principles that we would with our clients. They say the plumber's pipes always leak. And when the pandemic shutdown happened in March, 2020, we were at a run rate to do about 2.5 million. And it was a very challenging run rate though. I was so deeply ingrained in the business. I was putting out fires every day. I was working on every account. I had several of my own clients. We had 10 team members. It was a management nightmare. And the pandemic shutdown happened. We lost 60% of our revenue in three days. We ended up, the bleeding was so bad and I was, I was horrified. I didn't know if I was going to lose the whole company, what was going to happen. I had some of our clients that were in jeopardy of losing their companies. And so I just let them out of their contracts. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. I'll, I'll handle our side. And I realized in that moment that for two and a half years, my, my son was just over a year old when I started the company. And for two and a half years of growing and scaling that company, I had completely neglected my family. I was going about it the wrong way. I was working 100 hour work weeks. And even though I did better than the first time I was an entrepreneur, I was still making mistakes. And finally, the realization came to me that if you're going to be a wife and a mom and a CEO, you have to do this differently. And I believe that the pandemic brought a reset button, a giant, you know, like Staples has the easy button. This was like a giant reset button for people to make a choice on how they were going to reprioritize and shift their life. And I've heard some amazing stories that have come out of this, especially in the world of entrepreneurship and innovation and adapting. For me personally, I made a commitment that day as I sat on the floor and looked at my son and realized I don't even really recognize him. I don't, he's grown so much. And I was staring at him in awe. Like, he looks so different than I remember. And I'm like, this is a problem, Mary, get it together. And I rebuilt the company. And, and that's also some of the start of where the name House of revenue came from is we made a commitment to ourselves as team members and serving ourselves first and getting our own house in order and not being workaholics and getting the right foundation internally. Then it was serving our clients. It was getting creative and innovative and serving them in a way we never have before because to survive and actually grow and scale revenue through a pandemic, we had to do something different. And so we innovated and changed those services there. But then we also had to rebuild our structure for how we were training and mentoring and where my time was being spent. We reworked it all. And as we closed out 2020, we are 2.2 million, 25% EBITDA. And our clients, every single client grew revenue in a pandemic. Many of them reached significant levels of scale. And some, we have a few 
studies of some going from 2.5 million to 5.3 million in a year. We have others 14 million to now at a run rate of um, $25 million company in a year. Amazing results of what can happen when you serve first, scale second, but succeed in a definition that the world necessarily doesn't provide to you. But that's our that's our story. That was long. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. No, lots, lots in there. I'm actually sitting here taking a couple of notes because there's so much. But no, it's it's curious you bring about the bring up the self-focus kind of a thing, because that's really something you don't hear in business uh, schooling and business courses and in books or anything like that. That's all focused on, okay, how do I build the business? How do I, everything's focused on the business kind of a thing. And you see a lot of people, to me, it's, it's gender agnostic there more than anything, but it's having that kind of self-focus to know, Hey, I do have kids. I do have family. I do have church, what, whatever kind of stuff, life outside of business, life exists beyond this business. And so it's, it's, that's one of the things I, it always throws a client whenever I'm talking to them, but it's like, okay, three different scales. How are you doing in business and how are you doing on the self side? Well, what's your self-focus right there? Because I look at it, a lot of people say, Hey, that's selfish focusing in on yourself. It's like, it's not selfish because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to be there for that husband, for that kid, for that wife, for even your teammates in the, the company kind of a thing there. If you're not taking care of yourself somewhat first right there, if you're not making sure you've got time to work out or time to eat healthy or whatnot, you're not doing those people any good either. So it's not being entirely self, self-focused self or self-centered there, but that's that's interesting you bring that up and, and have that kind of realization because that's not something that Honestly, I've yet to hear it at all on, on any of the, the guests or any of the podcasts that we've had on here. And it's just not something you hear in, in most systems or most business coaches talking about. No, I remember a keynote that was held in our community, our business community here in Denver a couple of years ago. And it was a speaker that was speaking to executives about taking care of themselves and health. And I remember thinking, what a waste of a keynote. Seriously, that's so stupid you're going to have a room full of executives, give them something tangible that they can take away and use to scale their companies. I'm like, really, you're going to stand up there and talk about nutrition and taking care of yourself. And it's so interesting. I've actually gone back to a few things in my life where I've had that negative reaction. And I realized those were the things that even though they weren't present for me in the moment, they have become so important. I've had two of my CEO friends pass away. And young in their forties, I, it's shocking to me. And I think, and, and one was extremely health related. One was an accident. And I think, gosh, you have to take care of yourself. And it's so easy to get caught up in the business and to run yourself ragged and to not be focusing on health. The other thing that I heard, I had a, um, a woman CEO friend of mine, Tiffany, who in January or February, before everything happened with uh, COVID in 2020, I was a workaholic. I was working a million hours a week. Obviously that's an exaggeration, but like a hundred hours a week. <laughs> it feels like it many times. Yeah. And she looked at me, she said, why don't you just shift your schedule? So that, cause I was starting to feel some stress and strain with my son. He didn't want to spend time with me. He didn't want me to sit next to him, brush his teeth, put him to bed. And I was expressing this in a women's CEO group I was a part of. And Tiffany said, why don't you just adjust your schedule? And I looked at her and I said, do you not know me? I'm Mary Grothy. I don't work nine to four, but it was in that moment. It was that same type of negative reaction. And what I've learned about myself is 
in those moments, I have to humble myself and realize why am I reacting that way? And what I've learned is to pay attention to those reactions, because what I have found is it's like my subconscious screaming out saying, yes, yes, put attention to this. It's not right. You're not doing this right. And so it's an amazing blessing and gift that I've been given this year to start to have the discernment to realize when I react that way, I need to put attention to it. And the fun part is I went vegan. I cleaned up my eating. Um, I, I rarely consume alcohol. I have been focused on my health and fitness and getting enough sleep. I mean, I'm a tremendous state now at 37. And then with my kid, I do work nine to four um, outside of this fun podcast that we're recording at the crack of dawn here. I have to work <laughs> yeah. in my schedule, but I do work nine to four and we're bigger and more profitable than we've ever been. And I'm the happiest that I've ever been. And so I would just, that's my encouragement for entrepreneurs and CEOs as you're scaling it is okay. I give you permission to consider a different lifestyle. And I give you encouragement that you can do it all, but you have to choose it and commit to it and build a model around it. So I'm, I'm curious going down that path, why do you feel like, or obviously you've, you've kind of been on both sides of this now. Why do you feel like people, especially entrepreneurs, growth people tend to struggle to say, okay, I, I can't, I can't do the nine to four. It's like, I'm in the same boat. I, I know a good friend CEO that he's actually nine to three at that point. I've always used to look at him and say, how in the world do you run a company on just nine to three kind of thing, especially for an international brand like he had. But it's like, why do you see, or why do you even personally see that? Okay. People can't make that shift uh, to say, Hey, early stage entrepreneur to scale and grow. And now you want me to work less. What, what is, what, how, how does this work kind of a thing? What do you, well, first you have to build a plan for it. So you can't just all of a sudden tomorrow say, great, I'm nine to three now. Okay. That's not going to work. <laughs> you have to build a plan to achieve it. I was given the opportunity to build a plan rapidly because I lost 60% of my business. So I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> and we were all forced to stay at home. <laughs> and everyone thought the world was going to end. So I had uh, the fast track. My, my recommendation is you have to build a plan for it. Pick a date, three months out, six months out, whatever the date is that feels like you can build a plan to achieve it. First thing you have to do is you have to look at your profit and your pricing model because you have to create enough cash flow in your business to hire the team that can take the tasks off of your plate that are going to allow you to shrink your work week. For example, here's what I did when I was looking, not this, uh, uh, excuse me, as we were after the shutdown, as we were looking to rebuild, I didn't want to all of a sudden when we got busy again, just go back into the same habits. So I made an Excel sheet, a spreadsheet to say, what is everything that when we were at our peak at our height at the busiest that I would do on a weekly basis, I mapped out all of my hours and where all the time went. I took that spreadsheet and I carved it up to say, what am I still willing to do? And what can I fit into a nine to four? Where is my time best spent? I, I used some of the traction model of the get it, want it, a capacity to do it. And I use that on myself to say, do I get it? Because as a CEO, I can find myself doing everyone's role, but trust me, my team is far more talented than I am in several areas. So do I get it? I was looking at certain areas where we've grown. Do I truly get revenue operations and customizing to build it out CRM tech stacks? Like I can talk about it, but can I really do the work? I probably could. 
I don't think I can do it as well as someone else. So that comes off of my list on the want it. Even if I'm good at it, do I really want to do it anymore? I'm great at serving clients, but I don't want to do client work anymore. I want to coach and mentor, develop my team and be responsible for business development and capacity. And that is if I put in the nine to four, my top get it and my top want it, what do I have the capacity to do? And then say no to certain items. So I built that sheet and I built the plan. And then what I did is I gave myself a timeline to be able to augment our pricing so that we could have the profitability and cash flow to allocate those duties to other team members. Then I built the plan on a timeline with milestones to say, when we get to this point, then I'm going to hire this role. I didn't wait till we got to the point to hire. I started recruiting and building the bench ahead of time, sourcing amazing talent. So I was very, very slow to hire so that I could ensure I had a great match and a great fit so we could reduce turnover. And then I held myself accountable. And I made myself stick to it because it's easy as a CEO and entrepreneur to make exceptions. Well, just this time, well, this is just a busy week. So this week I'm going to stay late at the office, but next week I'm not going to, no, this is the rule. This is how it is. And I will only work these hours, <laughs> exception, sometimes recording a podcast early in the morning, but I live for this stuff. I love this work. Anywho. You have to build the plan and then you have to have someone hold you accountable to it. So if you have noticed habits in yourself that you sometimes, uh, you know, kind of stray away, get a coach. I've had a coach for years. Now I do on and off cycles. I usually do a coach for about six months and take three months off. And then I bring a coach background. I use the same coach three times. And then now I'm working with a different coach just for perspective and, and bringing something new and powerful into my life but that person holds me accountable. So create the framework to where you're not going to go back and repeat past mistakes. Yeah, I love that, especially the coach mentality because honestly, people would look at your business and say, well, you are you are the coach. You're the one coaching these other people, but still that doesn't mean the, the coach doesn't need a coach and having that outside accountability is huge because a lot of times sitting on the top of a, a company, it's in some respects lonely, but you don't have that sense of accountability. Who am I accountable to other than myself? And it's it's easy, like you say, to make exceptions and well, okay, this time that's a, that's an interesting client or an interesting project. Yeah. It doesn't fit our core focus, but it sounds interesting. Let's go take it on kind of a thing there. And that's where you get, like you were saying, it's like so spread thin. So doing, doing so many things that are outside of your, your core focus there. And before long, it snowballs at that point. So it's, it's that, that really impacts in a lot of areas. So I'm curious there, uh, you mentioned early on kind of in the, I believe it was the first company and maybe even still the second of growing too fast or accelerating too fast. That's a theme I've, I've heard a number of times. What does that really mean or look like to you in terms of, is that just, Hey, we had this massive whale client kind of show up or that we want to take on or what, what does growing too fast mean? And what are some of the, now being on the opposite side of that, what are some of the ramifications or some of the pitfalls of that? Yeah, for us specifically, it wasn't a whale of a client, but it was a mad rush of new clients who wanted to onboard. And it was a product of my keynotes. So in 2019, I had an amazing calendar of keynotes. I was on a stage twice a month. I was flying everywhere. I had the time of my life. And like clockwork, after every keynote, I had an influx. I mean, it was lead gen tool for me. So I had an yeah. influx of interested prospects and of a slew of companies wanting to do business. And we didn't have 
infrastructure for onboarding clients. I just said, hey, we have someone who wants to sign up and I made my team deal with it. And if they were too busy, I took the client. And so it was, it was unorganized chaos. <laughs> and I was just meeting the demand of clients without focusing our ability to serve ourselves first and then them. It was them first. And that's why our core values now to repeat our serve first, scale second, and succeed always. And breaking it down on the serve first, it's serve ourselves first. First, you as a human being internally, then your teammates and doing what's best for us and then serving the client. Because if we don't have our house in order, and that's what we had to learn the hard way, then we're a chaotic mess, putting out fires all the time and, and hiding it and looking to our client, like we have everything together and we masked it extremely well. We did well for our clients, but we were a mess inside yep. and running ragged. So we decided that the infrastructure, we, we just took our own medicine and ate our own dog food. There's two sayings back to back, but I, we had to rebuild our own infrastructure the same way we would do it for our clients without an unshakable foundation and infrastructure. You can't build the rest of the house. You have to have everything that touches the full client experience, which will be every department of your company. You one, have to make sure what you sell, your product or service is competitive. It gets great results. It's innovative. It's not going to become stale and outdated quickly. And that it, it really is something that you can take to market proudly and ease your marketing and business development and sales efforts because it really is something people want. So that has to come first. Second, you have to build a pricing model around it that injects enough profit into your business to pay for the roles and R&D and requirements that you need to sustain. If you're running low on cash and don't have money for R&D or money to grow, that's your own problem because you haven't built the financial side of your house correctly from their operational structure. When you look at the operational workflow from the first touch point of the customer and everybody that's involved all the way through marketing, sales, onboarding, then ongoing client service and success, and then even renewal or offboarding or repeat purchases, how do you do fulfillment? How do you support clients? There's every aspect of the operational workflow that will touch every single person in the company, whether they're client facing or support team. And all of that has to be in order. You have to have a playbook for all of it because you can't rapidly scale sales and marketing and then inundate your ops team and have it be a giant mess. You also can't invest all of your dollars into this gorgeous, perfectly built offering with your tech team and your product and your ops team and your great dashboards and your MPS scores and your uh, amazing way of managing success. And then you're all sitting there twiddling your thumbs, waiting for clients to come on board. Like you have to build it at the same time. You have to build it together. And when you're scaling too fast, oftentimes what will happen is you're growing rapidly through your business development efforts and the back of the house can't keep up and you're falling apart at the seams. Yeah. That is what was happening to us. And when we re hit the reset button now, we don't onboard more than two clients in a month. We now have a series of four internal meetings to prep for a new client kickoff. I used to just schedule the kickoff and have my team members show up blind. No pre-call, no planning, because I can handle that and do it. So the expectation was that they can. That's wrong. Yep. People can't handle that. And so for me, 
it was setting it up to say, I need to allow my team to succeed. And so we built that infrastructure to where we were pre-call planning and having our setup before the client kickoff and then have multiple internal and external meetings. So we are all on the same page, communicating, working together and the results have, have come. No, it, it makes a lot of sense. Cause yeah, you, you see, and it goes back to almost where we started the conversation. You've got to have all the different pieces, all the different silos that are working together that you can't accelerate just one silo. Cause yeah, I'm in a lot of ways, the opposite side to say, I'm, I'm a big process person love getting systems, love getting organization together. And in several earlier companies I had, that was where we focused. Let's make sure we've got everything robust. We're going to handle a thousand clients. Well, we hadn't got the first one yet, but we're going to be able to handle a thousand clients here. And then, then you tank the company on the other side because you burned up all your resources there trying to build up your operations side. So it's definitely a doing it in balance. Like you said, it's, it's a, but I, even still, I like your point instead of saying, hey, we're only going to take on two clients a month. It, it doesn't matter if five or 10 show up, you tell them, hey, we're, we're maxed out right now. Maybe I can take you on next month or whatever kind of a thing, but being able to grow it in a sustainable, steady kind of manner there, because when you do take on either the massive whale client or 10 all at once kind of a thing, you're, you're really risking, if nothing else, turning around and losing those clients for the, the customer satisfaction side of the back side. So that's, that's where I see a lot of them is like, great, we've got the sales coming in the back in the front door, but you're turning around and losing it right out the back door there because you can't support them. You can't actually deliver on what you said there. So really key there. So uh, wrap up here in the last little bit of time we got, if you were to look at obviously the future, if you can, you can predict what we're coming out of this pandemic and everything looking like, what is, what's the future for House of Fusion look like? Or House of Revenue, sorry, get it wrong there. Hey, but yeah, House right. of Revenue. <laughs> um, I'm an openly faith-based CEO. So as a Christian woman, I am very connected into what God wants for me for this business. And I feel that for me specifically, I feel more at peace and aligned with my faith if I don't predict the future and set those goals. I think what's more important is to be connected and to be listening and to be in tune with what our clients need in the moment. My immediate predictions are people need to get out of their fear mindset and to start believing and having faith again, because if we just take this narrative that's being thrown at us and shoved down our throats, then we'll plant those seeds and that's the harvest we're gonna get. And so for us, our encouragement that we have in the immediate future with our CEOs is to plant good seeds and let's yield an amazing harvest. And also that we can't grow weary in, in doing good because in due time we'll reap the harvest if we don't give up and that's scripture from Galatians but it's it's helping us all see that if we just do good work right now and if we're good to ourselves if it's the law of seed planting if your thoughts words and actions were seeds and we're putting them into the ground now what is our harvest six to nine to twelve months from now and so that's our immediate focus Looking out three to five years, I will say right now, I am the most joyous and happiest and fulfilled that I've ever been. And this is what I want to continue. So my success map for the next three to five years isn't based on a revenue amount or as a material or a situational. It's a feeling on the inside. I want this current feeling of joy and connection and alignment to be magnified in whatever way it's meant to be, whatever was destined for my life. And I feel like God's building the, the path underneath my feet as we go. And as long as I'm aligned and listen to him, I, I, I don't know how bad things will come from that. 
No, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I like that because a lot of times it's like one part of my tagline is simply helping business owners get more of what they want from their business. And people a lot of times will look at that and say, well, okay, that's profit. It's like, no, that's not necessarily profit or necessarily the size of a business or markets. It can be just simply, hey, I want a better life. I, I want more time with my kids. I want more things like that that are still business related, but but not traditional numbers related kind of a thing. So I, mm -hmm. I like that focus, like that idea. So we've talked the gamut kind of a thing here with, with different uh, experiences and stuff. But if you were to come back and say, okay, five years, 10 years back, if I had just known X, if I had just had this one tip, this one strategy, something, what would have been that, that one thing that you might've pulled out? I know we've, we've probably talked about a dozen different things here, but what would be the, <laughs> the one you might pull out and say, hey, if, this, if I just had this one, things might've been different, faster, et cetera. Yeah, um, calmness. I'm a very passionate person and it took me a while to master responding versus reacting. And I just get, I would just get so emotionally tied up in the business and react. And that's not good. It's not good for me. It's not good for the people around me. And I, I believe that had I gone back to my younger self and said, if there's something you can do as an entrepreneur, especially for me, it just as a very naturally passionate person is to take a deep breath and to experience calmness and to pause. And when information presents itself to separate the facts from the stories and to really evaluate it and in sound mind make decisions and not be so in the urgent and so emotional, because I think I caused a lot of unnecessary stress <laughs> with immediate reactive type decision-making and emotional decision-making. And I feel like that's something that I've grown a lot and it has brought forth something so powerful just in my quality of life and the way that I am as a CEO and a leader. And it, it's, it goes from the, the top down. And so setting that example has been tremendous. Yeah, no, I can see that for sure. So wrap up real quick here. Uh, Listeners want to know more about you, more about the company. Where can they find you or find, find some information about the company? Reach out to you. Yeah, two places, houseofrevenue.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Mary Grothy, G-R-O-T-H-E. Easy enough. And yeah, we'll definitely get those in the show notes. So I appreciate the time. It was really good conversation. I appreciate you taking a little bit of time out early out of your morning, out of your normal schedule and then to talk with us here. My pleasure. Thank you again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Building to Scale podcast. If you would like to share your entrepreneurial business growth story, please visit buildingtoscale.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you do both us and our guest a favor and share it on your social media accounts? Don't forget to hit subscribe in your player so that you don't miss any future episodes and make sure to reach out to Jeff Chastain on any of the major social media networks or check us out at admentis.com.